Good morning. It is a great joy for um, me to be here um, this morning. Uh, ever since uh, Manda and Delon um, were telling us about this church, we thought that if God were to um, ever uh, guide us to move in this area, this will be a church that will be excited to join. That hasn't happened yet, but uh, we visited once before, um, and we had a great time worshiping with you. Um, and we sometimes listen to Tom's sermons online, and, and we, are, we are very happy for you guys that, that you're blessed with, with um, a pastor who has such a high view on the Word of God and, and, and gives it all to preach it faithfully. Um, so it is an honor for me to be here this morning. Um, it is especially an honor for me to um, be able to worship with you on the grounds of the gospel. Um, and, and it may seem like a small thing, but really um, being here just for the second time during a Sunday morning and yet be able to call you my brothers and sisters in Christ, it, it's an amazing accomplishment of Christ and of the gospel. Uh, so let us open up in prayer um, together. Lord, we come on the grounds of what you have done for us and on the grounds of the work that has been completed on the hill of Golgotha. And we want to thank you together with the whole creation this, this morning. We want to thank you for being an awesome God and for being a God who um, is alive and, is, and who is very invested in our lives. And we want to thank you for the word that you put before us, which also is alive and... and um, penetrates deeply into our, into our souls. Lord, we pray that um, you will speak through my mouth this morning uh, to be able to uh, faithfully represent your word that you have for us this morning. Pray that your spirit will take over and, and will, will, will carry on this message that you have for us. Lord, I also pray for um, all the eyes and ears that are here this morning. I pray that our eyes will be open to see you and our ears will be open to listen to your word. I pray that um, this morning hearts will be transformed. I pray that this morning um, we will um, get to know you better. And with that, Lord, that we will love you better. I pray that um, you will um, bless us all this morning to your grace. Amen. My name is Gabriel Aaron, as, as Dilan was saying. Um, I am here together with my wife, Emma, and um, our kids, uh, Roa, Sylvia, and then Ralph, somewhere in the nursery. Um, I am the family ministry pastor at Goodwill Baptist Church in, in Heroico, Virginia. Uh, but over the last several months, uh, we felt compelled by God to um, um, plan on moving to Romania, plan on going there for ministry, going there as missionaries and, and church planters. Um, this is, in fact, the reason why Pastor Tom um, had us come here this morning, um, as we thought it would be appropriate to share some of, of what God has been working um, in and through our lives, and also to look a little bit in, in the Bible and, 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 and see what God has to tell us about missions in general. Um, uh, if you were already in the adult Sunday school, you probably already heard much of our story. Um, so I'm not planning on spending much time on that um, during, during my message here. 
um, as I would like to get to the scripture soon. Um, however, if you would like to know more about our ministry after the service, um, if you would like to follow our journey, or if you would like to find ways to, to partner with us, um, we, we have some sign-up sheets on the back. Uh, please write your name and, and the phone number and address. We would love to connect with you. Uh, we are going to be here for, for a few weeks in the area. We would love to have the chance to meet with you and talk more about that. Um, also, we have a table set there on the back. Um, if you want to get a glimpse of what we are going to experience in Romania. Um, and if none of those sound like a reason to stop, we also have some Romanian candy there. So, so that, that may help you. So why us, why Romania, and, and why now? Uh, to put it very simple, um, I wasn't born and raised here in the south of America. Uh, my speech has already probably proven that. Um, um, although I, I do like biscuits and gravy quite a bit, but, but I was born and raised in Romania, and I spent most of my life there. Um, and Emma, also my wife, who is an American, she, she has been to Romania multiple times for ministry or, or visiting with my family. So the people of Romania are very close to our hearts, and, and the, the spiritual needs of the field there in Romania is very familiar to us, so we feel burdened to go and take the gospel to the people of Romania. Um, I grew up in a pastor's family um, with my father running around between um, six, seven churches every Sunday, and I, I saw the great lack of workers in the Romanian field. Um, we have seen even now a few weeks ago um, the majority of people being deceived in Romania by the uh, Eastern Orthodox, Orthodox Church who claims to be the only way to heaven and, and, and the kissing of paintings and of bones of, of saints and the drinking of holy water and the, the touching of the priest's hands and clothes and the burning of incense, all the works and the buildings that they are deceived to believe that those save and not the gospel. Then we have heard the call to prayer from, from uh, different mosques in the southeast of Romania. We have seen multiple mosques uh, being built. And nevertheless, we have seen an increasingly, an increasingly secularized uh, country, especially among the young adults there. Uh, throw in there the fact that Romania has one of the highest mortality rates on earth higher than any Asian or African country. And you get the picture that there are so many people dying every day in, in deception, in sin, in lostness, and then others live another day just to stay as, as far as possible from God. So there is a great need for the gospel in Romania, and there is a great urgency for it to be taken there. And we were called to go and take the gospel to the spiritually dark areas of Romania. Thus, we are praying, and we ask that you will pray with us this morning, and from this morning on, uh, we are praying to, to deploy to Romania next year to a city called Constanza, uh, a city uh, uh, which with, is the capital of an area called Dobroja, um, and Dobroja, with less than 0.3% evangelicals, um, has a great need for the gospel to be proclaimed, a great need for the actual churches who are there to wake up from their spiritual lethargy and the great need for new churches to be planted. So please pray with, pray with us that Constanza will become a stronghold for the gospel in, and, and will, will impact the whole area of Dobroja for Christ. And pray with us that from there a, a wave of revival will start for the whole Romania and Eastern Europe. That's our prayer. So, so this is the reason why we would like to go 
to Romania, to see lives transformed by the gospel. We, we want to see Christ being worshipped um, by people from all people groups in, in, the, in Romania and, and by people from all backgrounds and, I, and by people of all ages. And we would like to be there and, and worship God together with them, just as the pictures that we see uh, uh, all across the book of Revelation. Um, and, and I believe that you and I are not that different this morning here. I believe that you and I share this desire to see people come to Christ, don't we? I, I, I believe that um, on one hand, the words of Jesus in Luke 9.23 apply to all of us. Jesus said in Luke 9.23, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Amen. And as we are all called to lay ourselves down, deny ourselves, to embrace the cost of discipleship, take up our cross daily, and to accept to walk on a path that is not of our own design to follow Christ. Or as we talked this morning in Sunday school, we are all called to unconditional faithful obedience. Then on the other hand, I believe that you too have people in your life that you hope they will get to know Christ and you hope they will get to be saved by Jesus Christ. Uh, Romania might not be your field, but, but maybe you have people in school, or maybe you have people in your family, or in your neighborhood, or at your workplace, or in the grocery store that you go every week. Maybe there are people there that you pray for, and that you, that you do all that you can for the gospel to, to be bold in front of them, and you hope that they will get to be saved as well. You see, we share that desire. So I'm going to raise the question this morning, why do we want people to come to Christ? I'm hoping that, that this will, will uh, help us to go in the Bible and be reminded of some truths about, about the gospel and about the mission that we are, put, uh, that we are placed in. But also, I, I hope that this is not just going to be a rational refresh for us, but it will, it will empower us to be more bold and more dedicated for the gospel. So, why do we want people to come to Christ? And perhaps you heard some answers that go something like this. Um, I want people to come to Christ because I want Christ to return sooner. Have you ever heard that before? I, I think you did. Um, I want people to come to Christ because I love the lost. Or because I, I recognize that I once was lost and now I have compassion for the lost, so I want to go and take the gospel to them. Or I want people to come to Christ simply because Jesus told us so. And none of these answers are wrong. They are actually very good answers. But if they are isolated from the big picture, if they are the only reason why you want to go and share Christ independently, then I will, claim, I will claim this morning that as singular, as only reasons, they, they can be incomplete or superficial. And I will claim this morning that that the reason why we want people to come to Christ should be because we are partakers in the mission of God. We want people to come to Christ because we are partakers in the mission of God. We are not, uh, it is not solely because of something that we feel to do or because of something that we feel pressed into to do, but it, it is because of something that we are. It's part of our identity in Christ. It is not based on human initiative, but it is, it is based on God's initiative. Therefore, we are going to look at a text this morning that is going to show us that the mission of God defines and directs the mission of the church. 
The mission of God defines and directs the mission of the church. Uh, in other words, it shapes our mission. It gives content to our mission. And, and we, we, when we say the mission of the church, we refer to the mission of the local church as well and to our mission as individuals. So we are going to read together 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be seen, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Amen. I was tasked this morning um, to talk about what is the mission of God and why the local church is the seedbed of the mission of God. And right after I, I googled to find out what seedbed would mean in this context, I, I realized that this was not going to be an easy task for us this morning. Um, on one hand, because the concept of the mission of God can, can get a little bit controversial between churches, depending on what church you are, they will define the mission of God in a way or another. But also, and more important, because both these concepts that I love uh, are, are of an incredible magnitude. And it will be way too optimistic of me to believe that I can, I can do justice to the mission of God or to the mission of the church in the minutes that I have left for today. So my plan is not to have an exhaustive presentation, but instead to, to introduce a little bit the idea of the mission of God, and then to go in the text and see what Paul said about some particularities of, about the mission of God, and then how they define and direct our mission. So the church started talking about the mission of God, or, or missio dei, as you will, as you will find it often, uh, sometime in the mid-20th century, as an effort to change the, the, the center of missions from a humanistic approach, from a man-centered approach, to a God-centered approach. Some people refer to, his, to it as a Copernican uh, revolution in missiology. If you are into astrophysics, maybe you, maybe you understand that. But, there was this switch. So, so, now, so now in the new framing of, of missions, um, uh, God is not only the subject of the missional efforts of the church, but the idea of missions in, in itself is anchored in the character and the will of God. He becomes the center of missions. Therefore, the mission of the church, or missio ecclesia, as you will find it often, and if you want to speak Latin for whatever strange reason, is rooted in the mission of God. We are partakers in God's movement to save and to redeem those who are lost. This is what we are doing. 
Therefore, um, let us look at the text now and see how Paul describes the mission of God and how that directs and, and, and defines our mission. And the first truth that we find in the text is that because God is in the business of rebirth, we are given a new purpose from verses 14 and 15. Because God is in the business of rebirth, we are given a new purpose. The text is, a, is part of a bigger defense that Paul brings up for himself before the people of Corinth because he's criticized in Corinth. So he, he creates this defense for his apostleship and for his missions. As, as Jesus said in John 20 and 21, he said, uh, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. But also Jesus said in John 15, 18, that if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So now we see in Paul both these, both these uh, statements of Jesus being met. And now because he understood and assumed the calling to work for God's mission, he's being, he's being criticized by the people in Corinth. And they even look at him, if you look uh, uh, at, at verse 13, he, they even look at him like he's out of his mind. So... In his defense, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul brings up the big guns, and, and he creates this, this argument in just a few verses. He, he somehow encapsulates his whole theology, and, and, and thus he brings up this principle in 14 and 15 that says that the love of Christ controls us because he has died for us, and we no longer live for ourselves but for him. And when he says the love of Christ controls us, we don't know for sure if, if he means that the love that Christ has for them or the love that they have for Christ controls them. But at the end of the day, I will claim it's pretty much the same thing because we, if we are in Christ, we love him as an echoing of him loving us first. So at the end of the day, it is the love of Christ that controls us. And then when he says the words controls us, please don't think at some sort of an oppressing overtake. But when Paul uses this word, he refers to more of a positive prompting to action. We are called to a love on the move, if you want. As Paul was putting it even more clear in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk do you see the movement? Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself, you see the movement again, for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, Jesus didn't just love us and stay in heaven contemplating that. No, he loved us and therefore he gave himself, he came down and gave himself for us. It is the same picture that we see in John 3.16 when we find out that the sacrifice of Christ was in fact an outpouring of God's love for us. His love moved him to action, engaging him on a mission to die in our place, and the same love prompts us now to move and be on a mission that must also be sacrificial in form and salvific in essence. I'm going to say this again because I think it's fundament, fundamental for us. His love moved him to action, engaging him on a mission to die in our place. And the same love prompts us now to move and be on a mission that must also be sacrificial in form and salvific in action. This is the mission that we have been called to. 
It must be centered on Christ's sacrifice, and it must start with that. The basis of this missional love, according to verses 14 and 15, is the fact that Christ died for all, and therefore we all died with him. The all-sufficient sacrifice of Christ saved all those who put their faith in Christ, and all those who put their faith in Christ um, also died with him. But the thing is, we haven't died and remained dead, but we have been brought back to life just as He was brought back to life. We have a new life in Christ. We are, a, a, we are born again in our second Adam, Jesus Christ. Or as Paul put it in Galatians 2.20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I have I, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see that love on the move again? And then when you look in Romans 8, 11, also Paul says, um, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life on your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I don't know if you notice, but the whole Trinity appears twice in this verse. You see the whole Trinity being involved in the mission of salvation, in saving us and in giving us new life, giving life to our mortal bodies. Therefore, God, because God is in the business of rebirth, he, he, we died in Christ and we were born again, we are given a new purpose, which is anchored in his missional love. This is where mission starts from. We, we, we now live for him because he died for us. We take on his mission because we are saved, because he saved us in and for his mission. Brothers and sisters, do we love Christ this morning in a way that it constantly prompts us to move and to go and share the message of reconciliation with others? Do we love uh, Christ in, the, in a way this morning that, that prompts us to action in this new identity that we have in Him? Or, or do we claim to love Christ in, in, in a stagnant, almost vegetative manner? Because if that's the case, then we are called to something more than that. We are called to a greater love than that. We are called to abide in His love and find new purpose in God's mission. The second truth that we find in this text is that because God is in the business of regeneration, we are given a new perspective. Because God is in the business of regeneration, we are given a new perspective. Verses 16 through 17. Paul says at the beginning of verse 16, Therefore, uh, he says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ didn't, simply give, didn't only give us a new purpose, but also it changes our whole perspective on life and the world around us. This, this uh, argument is significant in Paul's, in Paul's defense because the people in Corinth doubted uh, Paul's apostleship and, and mission uh, mainly based on physical appearance. 
He was not a powerful speaker and he had some physical difficulties. So, so according to them, looking at Paul, they thought that Paul is inferior to other more powerful speakers like Apollo, for instance. But Paul claims that this way of looking at people through, 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 um, according to the flesh is a mark of the old, unregenerate life. Now, I believe this is significant for us as well. Because I believe that if we are honest with ourselves, we too can struggle with our perspective on life, on other people, on us. We too can struggle with these humanistic desires that, that we are still fighting with every day. According to this principle of Paul, we can see the world around us with the wrong perspective. We can see those who are unsaved as, as a matter of us versus them. Or, or we can see them as obstacles in our mission or in our life. Or we can see them as, as those who are responsible for all evil that happens around us. Or we can see them as those children of the devil who, who deserve their punishment and somewhere deep inside we really hope that they are going to get it. But you see, when Christ looked at us, although we were all damned at that point, he saw people in a great need of a Savior, and he became that Savior for us. And he gave us a new life because he loved us. How would our mission look like if we would love people like Jesus did? How will our mission look like if we will look at those around us with Jesus' eyes. The beggar at the corner of the street who you know is going to use the money to buy drugs. The homosexual, the homosexual in, a, in a parade walking proudly. The politician who constantly pushes immoral laws. The salesperson who, who constantly manipulates you and you know that somewhere in, in, in his speech there are lots of lies. Or the, or the guy who cuts you off in traffic. Or the lady with a, with a cart full of groceries cutting you off in a grocery store line. How do you look at these people? Do you, do you get offended by their flesh and turn away from them? Or do you love them like Jesus and move towards them hoping that they are going to see Christ? Because I believe we should look on, on those around us as, as to people who are in desperate need of a Savior. And when we see the flesh and when we see the corruption and when we see the sin, we, we, we shouldn't just react and, and, and move away, but we should understand that they too are in need of, of their Creator to turn them into a new creation. Then, according to this principle, we also can see those uh, in our church uh, with the wrong perspective. And this, I would, I would here I would like to include ourselves as well. You see, in the New Testament, often churches became unhealthy because of the way the people in the church looked at the other people in the church. In, in Romans, the, uh, the Jews looked down at the Gentiles in, in the church in Romans. In the church in Corinth, um, the poor was seen, were seen as inferior. Those who were less visibly spiritual gifted were seen as inferior. Uh, those who were less socially important were seen, were seen as inferior. In Philippians, we find out that they saw everybody inferior to themselves. And then in Galatians, we see, we see that they, the circumcised saw the uncircumcised as, as inferior to them. And they all had to be reminded to fight with this, with this, with this uh, way of looking at people through, through um, um, as Paul says, according to the flesh. 
And I would say that we are in a constant danger of, look for, of looking at people according to the flesh because we are in a constant battle with our own flesh. This is why we are constantly tempted to do that. But we must remember that we too were once insignificant and we too were once corrupt. And when Christ looked at us, in spite of who we were, he loved us and he gave himself for us. It is not the flesh that controls us anymore, but it is Christ that defines us. And then, also according to this principle, um, we find out from Paul that we often can look at Christ with the wrong perspective as well. And Paul uses his own example um, when he used to look at Christ uh, through these eyes uh, as on the flesh. Before the experience on the, on the road to Damascus, um, Paul saw Jesus as a fake, defeated, self-proclaimed Messiah. And, and he thought that he should disappear from the memory of Israel. So he called himself on a mission to destroying anything and anybody who will still portray Christ. This is how we are introduced to Paul in the Bible. But then because his perspective on Christ has changed, now he's called into a mission to make Christ known to the end of the earth. Do you see the difference that appears in his life once his perspective on Christ has changed? If we have the right perspective, if we truly understand what Christ has done for us and how significant there is for us and, and for the whole humanity, then we cannot be stagnant and we cannot be uninterested in the mission of God. But we will even go as far to look crazy for God as Paul was accused of being. Grace Church, is your perspective on the world, on the church, on yourself, or on Christ, one based on the regenerative work of Christ? Because only then we will understand in depth what Christ has done for us and what we are called into. The third thing that we learn from this text is that because God is in the business of reconciliation, we are given a new pursuit from verses 18 through 20. Because God is in the business of reconciliation, we are given a new pursuit. And this all starts from the character of God. Paul says, all these, talking about the new perspective and the new creation that we are in God, he says, all this is from God, meaning that it, it comes about through a divine initiative. It is a divine act. And that means that we don't simply decide that we want to have a new perspective, and we don't simply decide to be a new creation, but we are turned into a new creation by Christ, and we are given a new perspective in Him. And verses 18 through 20 present the same two principles, and Paul uses two different images to present those. And the first principle is that we are called into God's mission. Paul said in verse 18, God reconciled us to himself through Christ. And in verse 20, we became ambassador of, ambassadors of Christ. So before we, we, we are agents in, Christ, in God's mission, we were subjects in God's mission. He first did his work in us and called us to live in him. We used to be rebellious against God, but he reconciled us with himself. And we used to misrepresent our creator, but now he turned us into ambassadors or representatives of him. 
The first step in pursuing God's mission is to understand that God pursued you first. And as in Romans 5, 11, Paul says we should rejoice in this truth. So we saw that our mission should be characterized by love and compassion in, in the previous two points, but now we see that it also should be characterized by joy in the salvation that we have received in Christ. Then the second principle that Paul presents here is that we are called to God's mission. So we are called into God's mission, but also we are called to God's mission. In 18, the second half, Paul says that God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He didn't just save us so that we will enjoy it for ourselves. He saved us that, that we also will become agents of reconciliation. Brothers and sisters, the, the fact that we are here this morning doesn't mean that we have arrived. And it also doesn't mean that, that we can just sit on a chair and wait until Christ will return. But the very fact that we are here this morning, it sends us, it sends us to go out as angels of reconciliation. Amen. We are called to take further the message, this great message of love from God. We are discipled to become disciplers because the one who reconciled us to himself also wants to reconcile, other, to reconcile others to himself through us. Moreover, verse 19 uh, says that this ministry of reconciliation is passed on as more people come to Christ. Paul says that, said that we are uh, God was reconciling us, not counting our trespasses, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You see, it is not only your pastor or the staff of the church or the missionaries that you support that are calling to God's mission, but you and I are called into God's mission. We are called to that. We are agents and proclaimers of reconciliation. Paul says in the second half of verse 20, God makes his appeal to us, which is we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors of Christ and by definition, as we saw in the previous points as well, we must live for him, we must see through his eyes, but also we must speak his message. This is our new pursuit, that we live for the mission of God by thinking like Christ, seeing like Christ, and speaking like Christ, just like a faithful ambassador, so that his work will be multiplied through us. Do you have this new pursuit? I pray that no person in Grace Church will see his or her own reconciliation with God as a treasure to be buried, but as, but as the start of a mission that we are all called into, the mission of God. The last thing from the text comes from verse 21. Because God is in the business of redemption, we are given a new position. Because God is in the business of redemption, we are given a new position. This, in my opinion, is the most powerful verse that Paul has ever written. I mean, think about it for a second. For our sake, he made him to be seen who knew no sin, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. In his attempt to defend his ministry and, and his mission before those who accused him of being crazy, Paul now drops the mic 
and he shows that the very essence of the gospel is just that craziness. How can you not look crazy when you speak such a message? For our sake, meaning us, the authors of sins, God made Christ, the only one who had no sin among men, to become sin. Did it blow your mind already? Think for a second of the sin that you are most ashamed of. When you came to Christ, he took away that sin and he, he, he put it on himself just as he were guilty of it. Think of all, think of all the places in the Bible when, when God talks about how much he hates sin. We find in the Bible that God hates dishonesty and yet for every single dishonest person who comes to God, Christ took away that very sin and put it on himself. The Bible talks about how God hates injustice and yet for every single unjust person who comes to Christ, he took away that sin and put it on himself. He hates abuse and yet for every abuser who comes to Christ, he takes away that sin and he hates rebellion and yet for all of us, rebellious at some point uh, against God, he took away all our sins and put them upon himself. This is the crazy love of God that he took away from us the things that he hated the most and put them upon, him, upon us. He put them upon himself, to taking them away from us. So then we will be free and we will receive salvation. When we understand the scandalous aspect of the gospel, that we will understand what Jesus had to exclaim on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because you see, the very thing that Christ was now representing on the, cry, on the, on the cross, God hated. And he had to, to pour his wrath upon Christ. See, we often have this this image in our mind that all that God had to do was, was to take all the decrees and all the, all the uh, death penalties that he had against us, just take it in his, in his hand, crumble them, throw them straight in the trash and just say, nailed it and it's done. But it was much more than that. He took all, our, all the decrees that he had against us, all the death penalties that were written against us, and he nailed them on the cross on Jesus. And then Jesus, because now he had to be put to death by people and by God himself. He died for us. Do you realize the price that was paid for your redemption? Second part of verse 21, Paul's adds, Paul adds, so that in him talking about this substitutionary atonement, we might become, we, we, are not, we are not just considered, we become the righteousness of God, which means that when we stand before God, based on the sacrifice of Christ, we are blameless. Amen. God doesn't just close an eye and let us slide. No, because Christ has perfectly paid for us. When we stand before God, there is absolutely no accusation against us anymore. This is the work of Christ. Christ took our messy record and gave us instead his perfect one. And as we received his perfection, we have also received a new position before God. Now we have straight access to him, a new family in Christ. We are adopted by God and a new mission, which is the mission of God. So if you are here this morning, and you haven't yet 
experience this great exchange that God has done for us. If you are here and, and haven't yet left your past at the cross and take, take a new creation from Christ instead, if you are here and haven't yet put your faith in Christ, I beg you this morning to do that, to let the mission of God wreck your life and, and the love of Christ control you. If you are here and you are sick and tired of the old you, you must come to God because He's the only one who has the power to, to create out of nothing and to turn however bad your past looked or however, however messy your life, your life is to turn you into something new and based on the sacrifice of Christ. Then if you are here and you are already part of the redeemed, I pray that you will allow God's mission to define and direct your whole life. As you, as you dedicate all that you are to Him, and, and as you allow Him to move through you in His salvific work for others. Therefore, what is the mission of God? In your own pastor's words, the mission of God is the work of God by which He recovers what was lost in the garden by sending His Son to save a people for Himself who live as witnesses to God's glory and the good news we have in Christ. God's mission defines and directs who we are so that now we have a new purpose, we have a new perspective, we have a new pursuit and a new position in Christ. And we are called to participate in God's mission as again in your pastor's words, we faithfully declare the gospel and make disciples and seek to multiply this work to church planting and missionary work. Let it be so, for His glory and for His name. Amen.